My name is Leslie Payne. Welcome to Below the Median Income. The land on which we gather is the traditional lands of Iowa Tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, Iowa Tribe of Oklahoma, Meskwaki Nation, Sac and Fox Tribe of the Mississippi in Iowa, and the Sioux people. We pay our respect to elders, both past and present. Below the median income was inspired by two quotes. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. From entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn. And on March 12, 2018, Director Joshua V. Barr of the Des Moines Civil and Human Rights Commission said, We have 75% of students experiencing some form of poverty in Des Moines public schools. So what can we do to improve that outlook? Research has shown that if a person remains in an impoverished condition up through their adolescent years, they are more likely to remain in that position as they become older and become adults. These quotes and the information related to them evolved into an art installation, visual and audio components to place the visitor outside the space they routinely travel. The audio components are interview recordings obtained from people involved with public or nonprofit organizations. The interviews tell the visitor about where that person routinely travels. The installation contrasts Des Moines ranking as a best-in-nation place to live, Iowa Nice reputation of being overly friendly and go out of our way to help fellow citizens, and the visitor's personal story. My day five guest is Delia. She is involved in Narcotics Anonymous, also known as NA. It is a nonprofit organization for people that had drugs become a major problem. They are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. Delia is also a member of the Professional Women's Group, also known as PWG. The group provides practical information and inspiration to achieve self-defined success in career and in life. It is a program offered to clients of the nonprofit organization Dress for Success Des Moines. Thank you for joining me, Delia. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? I live on the south side. Who do you live with? By myself. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... If I step outside the backyard, it has beautiful trees and a nice backyard that I share with other people. And the front yard, I... I like it, the the way it's laid up. It's a senior community, and it looks like a little motel that goes all the way around in an L shape. And it has nice trees and lights, and it's always lit up really well at night. The neighbors are very nice I've met. They seem to be all pretty nice, and I like living there. How did you end up back in Des Moines? Well, each time I moved away, actually the first time was with my ex-husband, I did not like where we moved. I didn't like the people as well. I just, I didn't. I, I liked um, my hometown. And I even tried a couple of years ago to move away to South Dakota, and it was really uh, 
different change. I went and lived at Wounded Knee in South Dakota with a chief to help him make a book. There's a whole different way of living. And the people were very nice to me, you know, and they treated me like family too. But I got really homesick and missed my family. And even at my age, it's like, ah, I miss my family. And I told one of the daughter, granddaughters there, and she said, but we're your family now. We'll be your family. And I told her it's not the same. So anyway, I couldn't either. I got sick and I couldn't even go to the hospital because I'm not a tribal member. So I had to travel to Nebraska to just go to hospital. So I realized it was not a good place for me to stay. And I missed home so bad. So I had to go back home. And I, I just, I realized now I want to stay here, you know, and also with school, I could have left and was doing sign language and they discontinued the program at DMAC and I had an option to move away and i just like, I can't. I got too much family here. Grandchildren are coming soon. More grandchildren. <laughs> I just, um, I don't know. I don't want to be away from my family very far. So I like living alone, but my family's, a lot of my family's in Des Moines. How many kids do you have? Two. And they're grown. How many grandkids do you have? I'm on the seventh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. One has two and going on his third, and then the oldest son has the rest of them. So I have a quite a quite a mixture. What trait do you admire in the people you spend the most time with? Um, very spiritual people and they're very empathetic people. They're friendly, outgoing, and caring and honest. Describe a typical week. I do a lot of volunteering, a lot of volunteer projects. I'm involved in NA, and on Fridays, I am the treasurer of, I call it my home group, so I manage the money there, and uh, I also help with other things, and I have a sponsee that I help her with, teaching her how we do the program, and she's taking on a more uh, political position in that, so I have to teach her on Sunday how to go to areas like more of a political level. So I have to teach her how we do things there. So um, that I'm always actively involved in going to meetings with that, especially Friday, I, that's my home group. And then I also do some volunteer work for them. I go into Polk County Jail and talk to women there and um, tell them, you know, there's a new way to live and you can change things. I tell them things like that, give them hope. And then I go to Hope Church <laughs> Uh, every Thursday to celebrate recovery, and that's out in Jordan Creek. But I'm also getting more involved now with Hope Church downtown on Ingersoll. I go on alternate Thursdays and do art projects that we have either for stage show productions or we also learn to make a craft that's really easy and simple and fast. And then, for instance, we made macrame, little macrame knot bracelets, friendship bracelets, with beads and different colored string. And then we learn to make those on Thursday. And then Sunday morning, the homeless people come in really early for breakfast. And then after that, we have a class and we teach them how to make that project before the church sermon starts. I do a lot of projects like I'm doing um, raffle items for a woman's retreat. So I'm busy doing artwork all the time, and I do some freelance um, graphic design artwork for people. I just had a friend ask me if she could do my hair 
if I would take her daughter's senior pictures, graduation pictures. So that's going to be this week. So it's neat because I can trade services so it doesn't really cost money and I save money. <laughs> yeah. When did you start NA? 2000, I want to say 2002. Did NA help you get more stable? It, yeah, it helped a lot. It's also sad. It, I have helped a lot of people and some of them have died and that's hard. When I first got clean, I worked in that field for seven years and that's very hard. I just one day said, I can't do this anymore. I had to go back to school because I, I, I would, especially when I worked, I moved from Mecca over to Bernie Lorenz because they bought Bernie Lorenz and that's all women and they get to stay more extended time. So you get to really know them better and you get really close to them and then terrible things happen and they pass away. And I, I've had seen many through the years pass away, some of them um, on my shift and that's hard, you know, to, to take. But uh, it's just too hard of a job. I couldn't do it anymore because I, I, I'm very sensitive. So I get really attached to the people and it just breaks my heart. And I just thought, no, I just got to go back to typing. What organization referred you to Dress for Success? Oh, man. I, I was a, first a long time ago. And I was going to some schooling. And then this last time... I was at Evelyn Davis Center, and they had some some classes that we had to take there. And I recognized Nicole. I'm like, I think I know that lady. <laughs> but it was dressed for success. They just did it differently. And so they helped me again, which was really nice. It helped a lot with clothing that I needed for work and the suit I needed for the interview. So they've been a big help. And not just that, especially now, we have these, we meet, we have these little meetings once a month. The professional women's group? Yeah. Uh, we just learn all kinds of weird things. One lady came and talked to us about losing weight or being careful online. And it's nice to share with the women just what, what are you doing? What have you been up to? They're all a really nice group of women. My guest for day 13 is Manisha Padel. In the interest of full disclosure, she is the first person in Des Moines I met with to talk about this project, which wasn't fully defined, so I was on the receiving end of more than a few questions I had not figured out in May 2018. With that out of the way, Manisha is the Equity Coordinator for the Des Moines Civil and Human Rights Commission. The mission of the organization is to advance justice, promote equality, and ensure the protection of human rights for all people in Des Moines through investigation, education, advocacy, and community engagement. The commission is charged with providing a public service to the community and is supported as part of city government. They are an impartial investigative agency which seeks to determine through investigation if a person was treated unfairly in violation of the city code they enforce. The organization is community-driven. They want to see and hear you at events. You can check their website for the most up-to-date information. If you have questions, send them to humanrights at dmgov.org. Thank you for joining me, Manisha. 
What suburb of Des Moines do you live in? Ankeny. Who do you live with? With my husband. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... Openness, quiet, peaceful environment, people. When I step outside the place I live, I hear... Birds. A lot of birds. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Nepal. I lived part of my life in Canada. And then Canada to here was also when my family decided to settle in the U.S. and wanted to live here permanently. I followed the family. What languages do you know? Hindi, Nepali, and English. Did you know English prior to going to Canada? Yes, so his education system in Nepal is set up in a way where English language is taught as one of the subjects, so it's like a language class. It's almost every child that goes to developed schools learns English. What was your first impression of coming to Canada? It was different. I'd seen a lot of people in magazines and TV, so it felt like I walked into a TV or into a movie because I'd never seen that many people that didn't look like me all at once. But coming to the U.S. was where I it felt very different because I realized the more I learned about the history of the country, the more I became aware of my differences. How did you end up in Des Moines? So I went to Drake. Drake was the only college when I transferred from Canada. It was the only university that accepted three years' worth of credits that also had an international relations program. There was the school um, that I first came to Des Moines for. My family lives in Davenport, Iowa. Then I moved away, went to Chicago and whatnot, and then I moved away for a while. After I lived in Washington, I wanted to move back to Iowa to be closer to family. But I didn't want to live anywhere else other than Des Moines, just because of its size, the opportunities that it would have, and it would have been difficult for me to go back to the, the rural or less metro part of Iowa after living in bigger cities. How has volunteering your time made an impact on your life? I think that's the only time I feel important for existing in the world, and there's no other way of feeling good. Um, So selfishly, I feel good when I volunteer, but that's also a way of giving what I have, which is time, because I don't have a lot of other resources to give. Do you vote in elections? I do. Which ones? National? Um, local and um, national, yes. Why is it important to vote? It's a right that a lot of people don't have, so I would like to take advantage of it. It's one of those things where everyone's hungry, but I have food in front of me. I should eat it or give it to someone else. And in voting case, I can't just give my voting rights to someone else who can't. So it's one thing that I have and wouldn't want to not take advantage of it. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? Hmm. Interesting. Um, (laughs) I think being okay with my weirdness. I I, I am very weird at times, and being my authentic self is something that I strive for. And people closest to me are okay with that, and they're comfortable around me when I'm weird, which makes me want to be my authentic self. What do you do for yourself? Time. I give myself time, whether it's a physical space or just 
take that five minutes to not respond or not think about something, I try to give that to myself. And it's hard, but work in progress. What does success look like for you? Hmm. I don't know. I think success would be when I want to do more of that, whatever that is. So if I'm successful at something, that means that I want to do more of it because I know that that works. Whatever it is, whether it's in cooking. So continuing of something that I've worked on defines to me that that whatever I worked on is was successful. When is the last time you asked for help? Oh, just today. (laughs) I ask for help all the time. I was hearing a story of a a refugee family, and I went up to my coworker and said, hey, can I just share this? Can I unload? And their time to me is a huge help. What motivates you? Happy people. Happy children. Des Moines has an equity team. That's a rather new initiative. Mm -hmm. Are you in charge of that? In the city, yes. What's your goal or objective? Uh, So I'm more of a facilitator of that team. Goal is to first increase the awareness of everyone in the organization to believe in providing equitable services, recognizing that we have inequities in Des Moines. But ultimate goal is that everybody asks the question, who are we benefiting, who are we burdening from any action or decision we make? You have a lot of variety in your role as equity coordinator. What does a typical week look like? A lot of meetings, a lot of asking questions, a lot of clarifying assumptions about people. I think pushing for change in a way that everybody wants. There are a lot of well-intended people, but I think there are times where we don't think of how inclusive or exclusive our languages are and how we speak. Working on the equity team, planning for events connect with community members and organizations to help them want to participate in local government. What challenges for the organization, position, or people you serve are you trying to remedy within the Civil and Human Rights Commission? I think undoing things that government has been involved in doing in the past. I want to make sure that we don't band-aid a tumor. We don't just provide a small, immediate solution to something that's much bigger than what it looks like. And it's important that we give resources for people that need them immediately, but we also need to look at systemic changes so that ultimately people in the community don't depend on organizations and agencies and staff to just get by or to thrive. In my role and as a commission, I think what we want to do is create an environment in a community for everyone to feel that they can achieve their full potential and access resources to do that. My guest for day 23 is Champagne. She works with Movement 515 as a mentor. The program is offered to students in Des Moines Public Schools. Students and mentors attempt to slow down the world and investigate themselves. They work toward becoming change agents, shedding light on the impact human emotion and connection brings to the global community. 
Movement 515 is an urban arts community where twice a week, students and mentors come together to create spoken word poetry. Thank you for joining me, Champagne. What neighborhood do you live in? Drake area. Who do you live with? Uh, myself and my daughter. Are you the primary financial support? Yes, I am. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... The freeway. When I step outside the place I live, I hear... Birds and traffic. Sometimes kids playing. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Des Moines on the northwest side. Uh, I'm adopted. My aunt, and then my birth mom, and then my grandma, so my grandmother, she lived on the west side, and so did my birth mom, and then my primary caregiver was my aunt, who lived, like, right across the street from Finley. Which Des Moines public schools did you attend? Oh, goodness, so Longfellow, Lucas, Cattell, Finley, Harding, Steve... Wetter. It was like an alternative school that they closed down that was a part of Des Moines and then North High School. How do you get from place to place? My car. Was DART ever your primary transportation? In high school. Yeah, never in my adult life. Did you have to teach yourself how to get from place to place or? Back, like when I was in school? Yeah. Kind of, but not really. It was more of my mom didn't want to drive us, or my aunt. I call her my mom, my aunt, my mom. Um, she didn't want to drive us, so like if I wanted to go to the mall or do anything, like I would have to ride the bus or have a friend's mom drive us. What's made you stay in Des Moines? My family. Yeah. I want to leave, but I'm scared to leave without... A degree. I feel like it'd be easier to get it here than any other state. Are you in school now? No. I was going to go to school two years ago, and then my daughter got really sick. And finding care for her condition is just kind of tough. So hopefully by this fall or, like, next spring, I'm trying to, like, set in some babysitters to do so. Do you know what you want to go to school for? Oh, I want to be a principal. I want principal. to be a principal. Um, I know I want to be in education or just along the lines of helping people, but just being within the school district and being in a setting. Yeah, I want to be a principal. Describe a typical day in your life. What's it look like? Oh, a day? Yeah. What day? <laughs> like a weekday? Sure. Get up. Get ready for work, check blood sugars. She's low, give her juice, go to work. Crazy. The kids aren't in school right now, but literally just chaos. Chaos. I run the office. I can tell, so it's mad crazy. Get off about 3 o'clock, go home, hang out with baby, probably do some crafts and stuff. We're always just painting something. Cook dinner, make sure her carb is in her sugars are right. Her bedtime's about 8.30. We do her bedtime insulin. Usually, that's like my quiet time. Like showers and writing or just catching up on a TV show or whatever. Yeah, just normal, like, mom life. 
Do you follow a religious practice or go to a place of worship? I do. Not as often as I should. I go to Corinthian on night food school. What does it give you? I think when I am patient enough to, I believe, let the Lord guide me in my ways, it gives me freedom and release of everything heavy that I shouldn't necessarily be carrying, such as, like, just heartache that I know that I should let go of it, somehow keep. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? Their sense of humor. I need a good laugh all the time. When is the last time you asked for help? Maybe like a couple weeks ago. I normally don't ask for help. I have two people that I ask for help, and that's it. If I do ask them, it's it's very, like, (laughs) all the pride is gone. What does success look like for you? Honey, success looks like when I can put all these bills on automatic. <laughs> That's how I feel. Like, like seriously, in that success to me, within my household, my daughter is diabetic. So when we get to a line where we are completely comfortable and we don't have to overly worry about blood sugar and do the dang thing and be fine. Do you vote in elections? Do I vote? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Local, national, which ones? You know what is so bad? Um, national. I think I, I did local. I did local last year. I'm trying to get my life together and understand every <laughs> politics. My daughter's goddad is really, he's really into politics. I mean, I have to vote regardless, but he makes me know what to vote for and understand everything. Why is it important? I just feel like it's important because everyone has rights and not everyone's opinions are everyone's. You know what I mean? Like, just everything that's going on right now is very controversial and heavy and overwhelming. I just think it's just really important to see change, really important to view other people's lives and others' eyes. What's something you do for yourself? I write poetry. I've been writing like 17 years now, I think. I know my daughter's tired of me. She probably knows all my poems, literally. (laughs) Just recite them around the house to make sure I'm ready for any performance. But yeah, that's, writing is what I do for me. When did your interest in poetry begin? I was in fifth grade when I started writing. I would um, hear people speak. I've always been a good speaker. The way that they like phrased words and things, I was always in school picked 
to read things out loud. And so in fifth grade, one of my good friends, Kelly, passed away. She got hit by a semi, and I wrote a poem. I sent it in, and it like got published in this book. I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I think I can do this. Emily Lang and Christopher Rollins started Movement 515, which is a part of Run DSM within Des Moines Public Schools. How did you find out about Movement 515? So, funny thing, Emily taught at North when I was there, and I did a spoken word poem for the talent show. I was literally the only one who got a standing ovation. It was my first time, like, in high school, and the teachers honestly seeing that I have a talent. So she left North and went to Harding. She wrote a teacher of mine and asked if I could come down and help her teach poetry with her middle scores. This was like 2010, you know, before the movement started. And so I did that. I was my senior in high school. I was pregnant with my daughter. And we kind of lost touch. And then I worked at Mercy, and Emily's daughter went there. This was 2016. I did a lot of shows, so I was always, like, at work reciting. And so she was going to Brave New Voices. And they were like, we have this girl here who's just amazing with poetry, and you should meet her. And they're like, her name's Champagne. She's like, oh, my gosh, Champagne, does she have a baby? And I'm like, Yeah. And so that's how Em and I reconnected. That was like way early, 2016. And so by the end of 2016, she asked me to be a mentor for the middle school. And my middle school was Calinan. What opportunities became available to you because of your involvement? And movement? Yeah. My opportunity with movement was more of my relationship with Emily and her daughter. Worked at Mercy, and back then I was just really, like, depressed. My cousin, my best friend, she got murdered in a car accident, like crazy stuff. And I was just really down at that time and didn't really have any direction. My opportunity was my relationship with her because she's amazing. It was my opportunity to kind of like grow out of that depression. And then it was to be in a classroom and to be with these babies and these kids to see like, oh, that was me 10 to whatever years ago. To realize that, like, oh, I think I, you know, might be needed in education. Like, it's what I always wanted to do, but never had the courage to do. as an adult, it gave me a sense of security and support and love. Like, seriously. Like, it's a real-life movement, and these kids, I still keep in touch with their adults, and they're, like, gonna be, you know, they're adults now, they're not kids anymore, so I can't really, you know, but, like, they're just, it's amazing. It's a real-life movement, and it's love, and it's caring, and it's just, it's the bomb, and I'm so grateful for any opportunity that I've had or will have and just the people involved are just amazing. That's real life. Like, 
they say that God was real sad. Like, I was real sad. Like, for real. And I mean, I've known him for a long time. And even with Christopher, Christopher's just a mom too. And he's always mad supportive. Like, he'll just randomly text me. Like, he's just so mad supportive. They're, all, they're just amazing. For the 2019-2020 school year, do you have goals you want to accomplish with students in poetry workshops? Oh, yes, I have goals. So <laughs> I I am so strict when it comes to poetry. And, like, I'm a performer that does not like performing the same piece twice. And I have to have it memorized, even though I've messed up a few times. I'm like, oh, Lord. I want my kids to be always prepared. I want my kids to love the writing, but I want them to know that if you're going to perform and you're going to put your your work and your love and your art out there that it, it needs to be the bomb. You know what I mean? Like it needs it. You got to come correct. I want them to grow. And I, I think the community that I have, I could tell because I work there that they always like any show that we have for movement. I'm always like, Oh, I'm going to be there. You guys hang out. And like, you know, I'll see some kids there. So I think the momentum that I already have that they'll, the kids that you know, they don't talk that much or they talk to me, but they don't talk, you know, to their peers, or to their other teachers, that they come in and find a voice, that they come in and say, yeah, your words don't have to rhyme, but if you have a story, go ahead and tell it. And then I'll help you tell it to the world. And I can't wait. I'm so excited. My guest for day 26 is Dawn Martinez Oropesa. She is the executive director of Alexido, which means Towards Success. The organization provides programming to youth in Des Moines and nine other cities in Iowa. They develop Latino students' leadership potential through civic engagement, college preparation, career development, family support, and celebration of culture. Thank you for joining me, Dawn. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? I live on the northeast side. Who do you live with? I live with my husband and my two boys. Sometimes we have students who stay with us as well. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... I live right on Union Park. When I step outside, I see... My neighbors' houses, right? Like, I feel very much a part of my neighborhood. I see the beauty of the park and the beauty of what Des Moines can be. It's history for me. We used to go to that park when I was little. There's a lot of trees and open space and the rivers down the hill. It's just beautiful. When I step outside the place I live, I hear... In the summertime, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, I hear the carousel, which is great. And people in the park playing. Sometimes I hear gunshots. That's usually in the nighttime. Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Des Moines, closer to Rohan and um, University of Grace St. Teresa's. Well, it was a lower to mid-income neighborhood, a little bit of a mixture. What languages do you know? I speak English. <laughs> I write English okay. I can understand Spanish, and I can speak very elementary Spanish. I can get by 
when I'm in Mexico. Do you follow religious practice or attend a place of worship? I'm Jewish and I'm Catholic as well. My father's Catholic, my mom's Jewish, so so there you go. I have both of them. My husband does um, Native practices, and I found a place in San Jose called the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which is Kriya Yoga. It embraces all truths and all religions. It is mostly a philosophy. It was the first yoga practice brought to the country. I follow them. I get their daily messages. But now I'm more engaged and I watch the service every week online. I'm really blessed to be one of 70 people who can do that and get the teachings that way. What advice would you give to your younger self? I've always been kind of a free spirit and did things that made me happy, which I'm glad I did. Now that I've lost a lot of people, I think... I'm really appreciating the people that are around you a little bit more. I wish I would have had a little bit more time and a little bit more relationships with them. You left Iowa to obtain your secondary education, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and a Master of Fine Arts. Where did you get them? It was a very, very long process to get my education. I got a full ride at Grandview, so I started here. I'm a first-gen high school graduate, so I didn't realize that when you got a scholarship, you had to get a certain GPA, and so I lost my scholarship. Moved to Seattle, then I got into the Art Institute of Chicago. I finished my degree there. For grad school, it was a lot of back and forth. I ended up at New College of San Francisco. It was a master's program in art advocacy. I moved out there, and then it didn't get accreditation. I didn't know that that was an issue, so that ended. And I got in the University of Chicago. That didn't get funny. Then I got into the University of California, San Diego, and that's where I got my master's. How did you end up back in Des Moines after school? I moved jobs after grad school. Los Angeles, Sacramento, Texas, in San Jose, California, and met my husband. We had kids, and when it was time to start kindergarten, we moved back to Des Moines. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? A lot of the people that I surround myself with are very open-minded and really kind of searching for peace within themselves and within the world. I think it's their wisdom, but with a big, caring heart. When was the last time you asked for help? Hmm. Probably last night in my meditation practice. Do you vote in elections? Yes, I do. And I also work getting all of our youth to vote in elections as well. Why is it important to you? It goes back to Cesar Chavez, who I really look up to as a role model. And I see the power of the vote. His first job with the CSO, he went door to door, signing people up to register to vote. This was, you know, back in the day. And a lot of the people who were born in the United States, they just hadn't gotten their citizenship or their papers at the time. Because of the work that Cesar did every day, organizing his community, 
now Silicon Valley, which is the richest place in the United States, the city council, the school boards, all of them have Latinos on those committees, if not the majority. I see the power of civic engagement. I see the need here in Des Moines. I see the power that the youth have in one of the largest populations in the city and in some of our communities. They're not civically engaged. They're going to continue to not to have enough voice, not to have any power, not to be integrated fully into the community. How did you find out about Alexito? Alexito came to Des Moines in 2008. Antonio Rivera from East High School actually is one of the people who brought Alexito to Des Moines. Antonio had asked me to be a mentor. And at that time, it was a once-a-month mentorship program. The change of the political party at the Capitol, I work for the state. It was time to leave the state, and this position opened up, and it was the perfect fit of my love for after school, my love for youth, for immigration policy, for empowerment of Latinos. It all just kind of came together. So since 2013, I've been the executive director. What does a day in your life look like as executive director? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Every (laughs) single day is different. So I mostly work six days a week, sometimes seven. Some days I'm lucky. It's only a 10-hour day. And every single, single day is different. Every day that I think I have a plan (laughs) um, is different. It changes so like right now I have a bunch of grants due, but I also have to do the other work. I have meetings, but I try to block out all my time just to write or I'm preparing for the board meetings. There's usually a list or two lists of to-dos that usually don't all get done in one day. Alexito partnered with the Des Moines chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice, also known as SURGE. It is a national network committed to organizing white people, for racial justice as part of a multiracial justice movement being led by people of color? How has working with Surge helped change the outlook for youth in Des Moines? We came and talked and we mentioned something about how one of the school districts in the East Coast changed all the maps. It makes the United States much larger than it is. So they raised money to change all the social studies maps in the city they gave credit to us, even though they raised the money and they did it. The kids see themselves and the reality of what the world really looks like. To be inspired by things that we said and, and really make a difference in the school district is really, I mean, that's just beautiful. How has volunteering your time changed your outlook? For one, I really don't sell my artwork but I donate a lot of my artwork to immigration organizations that I work with. That keeps me alive as an artist, which I'm happy about. You know, even my board members, they volunteer their time. And people don't realize that the minimum amount that they can give us makes just huge changes in the lives of our kids and the lives of the program and keeps us sustainable. We have this great volunteer gene from First Unitarian Church has been really supportive. Surge has been really supportive. But they give us volunteers that 
just make things go so much easier. I don't think they realize how much easier it makes everything. The support and love that we get from volunteers is really amazing. From our own community and other communities. What motivates you? I run three of the programs of working directly with our youth. It's every single one of those kids and every single one of their stories motivates me, their family stories, good stories. Like we have extraordinarily intelligent children right now, but there's a lot of issues with getting them to get to college and to actually stay in college. It's very difficult for our kids. So making sure that the parents understand what they need for all of them to be successful in school and get what they need, that's what motivates me. What challenges do you face working with youth? Each group of youth, each age level is so different. You do need to have the ability to laugh at yourself and not take things personally. Sometimes it's very difficult. Also, to truly let go of your own ego of this is the way it should be or this is the way it should be done or this is a, my experience and you need to listen to me. Right now, I have a group that don't care and don't want to listen. You know, and I have to remember that one day, maybe it'll affect them. Maybe it won't. Maybe they'll remember what I said and maybe they won't. But everybody has their own path, and everybody comes to it at different times. I also believe in, like, astrology and things, but my group of seniors right now are the year of the lion. They're very strong kids. <laughs> very, and I'm including my son, who is a double wheel. Very secure. They have more confidence even than I think I do at this age. So I feel like they feel like this is what's right. This is what should be done. It can be a challenge to know that they are very black and white. A lot of kids, they just don't have the capacity to look at things holistically and from different perspectives because they haven't lived that. So to be able to give them the grace of being where they're at. Is the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> what new opportunities does Alexito bring to youth in Iowa? We are 27% of the Des Moines Public School District, 51 of Marshalltown, 38 or so of Tama and Perry, Claire and Belmont, Hampton, Atama all within 20 and 35%. So we're a large percentage of the population in these schools. Our kindergarten classes, we have more Latinos in those classes. So over the next 20 years, we're going to see a huge influx of a majority of Latino populations in schools across Iowa. Right now, because of the political climate, I heard this term willfully hidden or chosen hidden population because of the fear of our family's immigration status. Parents don't come out. Parents don't want to be grouped in large settings. Parents won't go to the hospital if a kid's been hurt. Or we had a, a family member picked up on Friday. You know, it's one by one by one all these things happen, but the community at large knows that they're happening. Parents are staying hidden, which causes our kids not to 
advocate for themselves to get what they need. They don't speak up against injustice happening to them. We have a 33% increase of racial slurs and attacks on our kids since last year. Our kids don't get the opportunities because a lot of schools and things know that they have low income. It's like $13,000 less than the average Iowan. We're very low income families. So our kids don't get the opportunity to go to college campuses. Their parents didn't graduate high school or go to college. And so we're just making sure that our kids, who are about 100% bilingual, they get those opportunities. They get to go on college campus. And they meet with Latino leaders and students and staff that look like them. Because otherwise, they don't have a picture of themselves on college campuses. They don't have a picture of themselves winning awards in high school or standing up and being part of something special at school. We're teaching those kids how to speak up, how to call out something that is unjust or unfair, and trying to get them to be able to see themselves in the future. They go to schools and they don't see Latinos in positions of power. There may be one staff member at school or two, but they don't see themselves in in high-ranking positions. That's the opportunity we want our kids to see is to open up their idea of what's possible, what's out there, what they can do. In 2017, Alexido launched DreamSeed, a youth-led business that partners with Spanish-speaking businesses to promote Latino philanthropy and community support. What benefits have you seen because of this partnership? They're phenomenal. These kids are really phenomenal. DreamSeed started in October, and in two weeks' time, they were able to get their mission statement, their vision statement, their website up, and come up with their goals. The DreamSeed youth have sold internationally, South Korea, Greece, Mexico. It's a youth-led business, so the CEO is a senior. She partners with me in getting the program done. We have five leaders that are paid. These kids have come up with products, but their confidence has changed. Their abilities have changed that way. For the last two years, it's been our number one Financial support has been the money that DreamSeed has raised. They set up tables. They speak on behalf of Alexito. They know it's theirs, and they take great ownership in it. They are the future leaders. Alexito conducted a mental health study of students in your programs. The study was the first in the state of Iowa to focus on attitudes and experiences of Latino youth related to mental health care. But recommendations from that study have you begun to address? I am a Mid-Iowa Health Fellow. The fellowship has gone on since 2017. That study was part of the fellowship. It took me a long time with a lot of mentors from the fellowship to get to the point where I'm at, kind of branched off. We did work incorporating curriculum and experimenting with curriculum for all the youth to be part of that. 78% of our youth experience daily stress due to the political climate and fear of separation of their family. How can we alleviate their stress just for a minute in program? How can we give them some tools to learn mindfulness practices 
The second part was I created a youth mental health task force. We started off with 25 youth, and the beauty of it is that they weren't the kids that you selected for to be the strongest leaders. These were kids that were selected because they had experienced some mental health issues. Um, over time, and because of the nature of the kids that were selected, we ended up with seven that were like core members, took creative recommendations, four recommendations. The first one was looking at hiring practices and equity within um, hiring and trainings for teachers. The second one was looking at attendance policies that were more aware of Latino issues. The third one was um, mental health counselors and counselors within schools. The fourth one was um, lack of access and the unequitable access to technology. The kids have presented the materials. We'll be at Buena Vista University, UNI. They've done an international conference in Minnesota. So they're sharing the information pretty widely, which I'm really impressed with. We're now in phase two and really going to do this exhibit with our larger group here in Des Moines called Movimiento High School Program. Three interns from Urban Leadership, from DMPS, and we're going to really look at the economic disparities. We're going to do a study, data collection of what really is kids' access to technology, parents' access. Most of the low-income kids are using their phones as opposed to laptops, and you know they don't have Wi-Fi in the evening. Really excited to see what the kids come up with, and we'll be inviting decision makers to look at what the kids have to say about that. What does success look like for Alexito? What I'm really striving for is to, one, have it self-sufficient, to be able to have the operating support that is comparable to other nonprofits in the city, a very secured base with an endowment and money coming in and sustaining the work to grow. True success for Alexito is that we have Latino leaders at all levels of the state. So we have people that are in city council positions. We have principals, administrators, legislators, people that are working in the governor's office, people working in principal and come and go. And they don't have to hire Latinos from outside of Iowa, outside of the United States, that we have our own Latinos within Iowa who have a path to be in positions of influence in the state. 